Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Speak On It, history and genealogy conversation with Janice and Shara Connor. We invite you to join us on Thursdays at 8 p.m. for an engaging exchange with us and our special guest as we cover various topics regarding history, genealogy, and your personal family history stories. Hello, I'm Janice Gilliard. And I'm Sharakana Feliciano. Welcome to all of our listeners, and thank you for joining us for Speak On It, History and Genealogy Conversations with Janice and Sharakana. Joining us for this podcast is Phyllis Biffle Elmore. Before we begin our interview, we will share some information about her. Phyllis was born in Detroit, Michigan, but at the age of four, she was sent to the small town of Livingston, Alabama, to be raised by her grandmother, Lula Horn. Lula, born in 1883, made beautiful quilts out of clothing of her loved ones. Each strip of fabric tells the story of the wearer's life and death. She shared these mostly tragic and sometimes witty tales with little Phyllis as she sewed their clothes into a quilt that threaded broken lives back together. Phyllis now shares these profound stories with the world as Grandmother Lula told them to her. In 1973, Phyllis joined the U.S. Air Force as a WAF, Women's Air Force, and was one of the first female B-52 mechanics. She graduated from the University of Maryland with a Bachelor of Arts degree in Sociology and Social Work. Her civilian career included working as a counselor for incarcerated youth and for women who were victims of domestic violence. After retiring in 2013, Phyllis began writing full-time on her memoir, Quilt of Souls, and promoting her Quilt of Souls quilt via lectures and other public presentations. Since its release, her memoir garnered a great deal of buzz from social, print, and television media. Phyllis is married to Mr. Reginald Elmore, the love of her life. Congratulations. And they currently reside in Florida. She has seven granddaughters who are the apples of her eye. Thank you for being here, and welcome, Phyllis. Thank you. So nice to have you. Phyllis, we are so excited to have this opportunity to interview you. Let's get started. And so our first question is, who was Lula Horn and what are her contributions to African-American history? Okay. First off, uh, my grandmother, Lula Horn, she was born in 1883, and she lived to be 105. She died in 1988. Uh, Her contributions is is so vast, I, I don't even know where to start. But she was born in, a, in Jones County, Mississippi, uh, in a little town called Sandersonville. She was born on the same plantation where her parents who were enslaved. So she lived with both her parents, uh, Joe and Emma Young. Now, Lou, my grandmother's mother, Emma, had three children who were sold in slavery. My, her, wow. her, mother, Emma, her mother, Emma, was born in, 1840, in the 1840s. And all my grandmother would tell me about those three children that were sold in slavery was that they were sold when they were still nursing. So I'm figuring they sh- they wasn't even a year old when they were sold. Um, Emma was so hurt that she that my grandmother said that she thought she would that she was barren and that she would never bear another child because it just took so much out of her. 
but in 18, around 1879, 18, uh, in, the, in the late 1870s, uh, her sister, my grandmother's sister Ella was born, and it surprised them because she didn't think she was going to have any other children. And then my grandmother came along in 1883, so Emma actually had two children after my grandmother. But unfortunately, my, my grandmother's father um, and her mother, Emma, they both died, you know, as, as, as mm. some side effects, after effects of, of the ex-slave, ex-slave owner on the plantation that they lived, basically took both of their lives um, and wow. in, short, in short order. And she, he beat my, my, my grandmother's sister, Ella, so bad that she ended up dying. She couldn't even close her mouth. So my grandmother oh my didn't have any, any relatives, any only thing she had would later have was her children and grandchildren. And my grandmother was only 13, but she took care of Ella for about six weeks after, this, after the ex-slave owner had did this to her. So she, my grandmother left at 13 and went to work for uh, in, the white, in the kitchen of the white, white folks in, um, I think, in Meridian. And I found my grandmother on the, 19, on the 1900 census, and it has her... Uh, working for the Williams family in Laurel, uh, and she was only 13. So my grandmother being 13, and I can just imagine, or I can't imagine her being 13 during the late, the early 1900s, working by herself, being alone by herself, and working in the kitchen with no, really no, no, no one, no family members, because she she didn't have any. Her whole uh, lineage was pretty much wiped out. So my grandmother was, was just a strong individual because from that, she was able to, to, to carry on those stories that her mother told her and was later passed down to me. And my grandmother, as well as other women of my grandmother's era, who she fond with over the years, these were women. I ex- actually met a couple of her peers that was born in slavery as I used to lay up under the house and listen to them sit in the front yard telling their stories about slavery. That's how I learned. So I was, I was saying my grandmother's contribution to African-American history was just basically all the things that she had to go through. She had to raise her right. children, and she also raised her children's children, which I call grandmother's other babies, like myself, for example, who was sent down south. Um, and my grandmother was able to tell me those stories through all that hurt and pain of being, of having her brothers and sisters sold and not knowing them and not knowing any family members. But she was able to raise myself and two other of her grandchildren and taught us well and taught us to carry on those stories. And that's why one day I was able to actually sit down and write those stories out that she told me. And that's her contributions, not only to myself, but to society and to African-American history. That is so wow. powerful. And in my mind, I'm thinking about, you know, just the fact that with all that she went through to live right. to be 103 years old, and that speaks to resilience, survival, right. and being t- determined that although she went through it, it was like it's not going to destroy me. So that's very, very right. powerful. And I always talk exactly. to uh, folks now when we're doing research about the great awakening that's happening now where she may have been separated. She was separated from her family, but look at how we're all connecting now. 
through genealogy, exactly. through DNA and research. And so that's a powerful thing right. that is coming full circle. So, you know, that's, yeah, that's right. amazing. 103 years in spite well, 105, of all actually. of the challenges. Wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, you know, you know, before I get into my, um, the second question, you know, I, you, you touched on the fact that she raised um, her grandchildren. And um, I saw a previous interview you did on PBS a few years ago uh, where you discussed, you know, the, you know, you were born in Detroit and then you were sent back to, um, to Alabama in the South. And um, it made me think of my grandmother and her siblings. Um, and you touched on the trauma that that had on such a small child. And, um, you know, it happened to my grandmother and her siblings as well. They were from the north, and, you know, as we know with the Great Migration, you know, their parents uh, left the south to move up north and or out west for better opportunities, and sometimes something would happen. You know, things just would happen, right. and the, the children had to be sent back down south. And, you know, like you, my grandmother and her siblings, they didn't know this grandmother. Right. Um, but. She stepped in and, you know, she raised them and, you know, it, it just, it made me think of, you know, wow, how, how common was this? You know, how often did this, this happen that we don't really talk about? Right. And I think it's a lot because, you know, not only was that my grandmother raised her grandchildren, but at the same time, my grandfather, who was pretty much disabled, disabled her, her husband, I would watch my grandmother get up at four o'clock in the morning and she would wake me up about 4.30 and she would pitch the plow. She would go out and plow the fields until noon. Then she would come home. Yeah. She would cook. Then we would sit in the front wow. yard and quilt. And then the next morning, the same thing happened again. And at the same time, you know, not forgetting to tell me about the history. I mean, planting sweet potatoes and, and the importance of, of planting and reaping. But my grandmother right. did it all. She was just a power. She was just a strong woman, and that's why I yeah. kind of mentioned in my in my new book, and I don't want to give too much away. Is you, you talk about the Mary McLeod Bethunes and uh, you know the Rosa Parks, and but there was always a strong grandmother. I guarantee you behind these women. Mm. Yes, always. formidable women, absolutely. And, yeah. yeah. Yes, and these were the unsung women that you don't hear about. Oh, we're and hearing we about them give now, them their we're going to make sure that. We're telling their stories, yes. Right. That's right. right, that's right. So, yeah, my next question is, um, can you give us a history of your grandmother's quilt making and also how her type of quilting assisted slaves with their escape route? Okay, I... Phyllis? I think we lost her. Phyllis just dropped off, and I'll get her back. Okay. That's the news. Getting good. Hello. 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 Are you back. Yes. I don't know what Can happened. It's okay. just I was. I, I was talking and I heard a, a weird. Okay, let I'll continue. I think on with it that dropped. Yeah, about something the quilt. happened. No, but right. go ahead. Go okay. ahead. Okay. Uh, I used to hear about this when I was growing up, somewhat, but I I didn't pay a lot of attention to it. Uh, but my grandmother's quilt, she only made quilts from people who had passed on, and she she always thought that it was superstitious to to to, to mix new cloth 
or some or clothing from people who are still living along with her quilts that um that was made from people who had passed on because when people would pass on they would bring the bag they would bring a bag of quilts to my to my a bag of uh clothing to my grandmother and she would make quilts and then she would ceremoniously place it in their hands you know as they would leave it was almost like a um like a, a a a ritual that she would do, she would pray over the over the quilt and then she would give it to him. And I used to notice That's this, powerful. and I thought it was interesting. So when I got older, and um, I had went to uh, did a, a, a public speaking engagement at Quilters of Color, and she hello, yes, yeah, we're no, here. you're there, okay. you're good. Oh, oh, okay. And she told me about uh, the quilts about uh, uh, that about slave quilts, where slaves would use these quilts to notify other slaves of an of an escape route. And mm. I went to the Met and actually saw a slave quilt, and then I looked at my grandmother's quilt, and you see those railroad tracks, and you wow. see. Uh, and some quilts, some slave quilts have pictures of stars and water, and you'll see like a, mm. a moon. Mm-hmm. And and I but I if I look at my grandmother's quilt, you can see those railroad tracks and arrows and a couple of arrows that point in a certain direction. And these were all quilts used to help slaves escape. They would hang them across the trees or the um, or the um, the fence posts, and it would tell slaves the direction to go in. And I didn't realize that until I actually looked at my quilt and I said, Wow. My grandmother used to used to do the same. I mean, even to even my quilt of souls that I have, those same patterns are in there, and I knew it had to be something that was passed down from her mother. And I just thought that was very interesting how these quilts actually wow. these quilts actually help assisted slaves on their escape to freedom to you know north because it you know you they actually are arrows pointing. Oh, wow, that makes me thought, think of uh, G's, G's Bend, I believe it is, with their quilt. Right. Yeah, G's Bend women. I, I went and talked to them, and they looked at my quilt, and they said, wow, this, this has the same patterns. And um, mm-hmm. those ladies are some powerful women uh, to do what they do and, and that there's the history. And G's Bend is only about 60 miles from where I grew up. So wow. I can just imagine. That's awesome. you wow. Know, yeah. And, you know, it, it puts me in the mind, my grandmother used to make quilts, and I remember when she passed away, I remember in her home there was a box that she had all the quilts in. And so my mother was going back, and I said, please bring me some of the quilts. And I have, I think, maybe like three or four of them. And so this okay. is causing me to want to check and see, you know, if there's anything in it. And she did. She sat there and she did everything by hand, and I would watch. Um, I regret not having paid attention or saying, hey, Grandma, can you show me, you know, mm-hmm. can you teach mm-hmm. me how to do it, you know. But, um, right. yeah, I remember that, and I had it. And I remember coming home one time, and my husband had it on, had one of them on the ground fixing the car. And I was like, um, oh. yes, I'm really going to need you to get that blanket <laughs> up, like, right that. now. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, you know yeah. I tell people that, too. You need to hold on to these uh, the quilts. Yes. And actually, not only quilts, but the artifacts that your elders gave you, your grandmother yeah. or great-grandmother or mother even gave you years ago. Because I guarantee you there's a story behind it, you know. Yes. And the thing is, yes. we, don't, mm-hmm. we don't ask about the stories because I know for a fact that there are stories behind a lot of the old artifacts, you know, that people just, you know, just throw it up in the attic or, 
throw it in the garage or even throw it away. Even if you go to thrift yeah. shop, I, I say to myself, wow, why did this person give this away? You know, and I just what's want the to story think about too? the what's story, the story behind, behind, it? behind it. Right, what's mm-hmm. the story behind it? You know, and, um, you know, I just, I'm, I guess I'm just an old soul, like my grandmother say. But I do believe that those, that, that those those artifacts have a lot of value. We just don't realize the value that it has until it's too late, until somebody say, wow, remember so-and-so, and I just found out that so-and-so, what happened to that piece, you know, and nobody mm-hmm. knows. Yeah. Right. Yep. Not only the sure. artifacts, but the traditions that we have. Um, right. I made a post on Our Black Ancestry recently about uh, Mother's Day and how if mm-hmm. your mother was living, you would wear a red rose. If your mother mm-hmm. had passed away, you would wear a, wh- a white rose. I also remember going to funerals and um, during the service, like when, when we were outside prior to lowering the casket, they would take mm-hmm. a younger child and pass that child over the casket. And then I believe oh. um, with the older person, like they would walk around. So there's so many things that we grew oh, yeah. up, even yeah. down to medicine. If, right. if we got sick yeah. when we were kids, we didn't go to the doctor. My grandmother would go yeah. outside, get some wormwood tea. It was the most disgusting tea, but I guarantee uh-huh. you, yeah. by the time you woke up right. the next morning, whatever was right. ailing you was gone. So they yeah. knew, and they yeah. knew <laughs> because of the traditions. Because yeah, of the yeah, traditions and, you know, and the, the, you know, our culture and what had been handed down to them. So, right. you know, I'm looking into trying to recapture a lot of that and just hearing from other people Absolutely. some of the traditions yeah. that, you know, they had growing up that we don't talk about anymore or we've yeah. lost. So. And castor oil cured well, everything. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. Every morning. Everything. Yeah. That, that was yes. your standard every morning. castor oil. I, mm-hmm. I remember and, when um, – one day I was, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't know, you, you probably don't, have never heard it. They have salt, I mean, cows suck on a salt block. You know, this it's just really? like a big salt block. Yeah, and that's what break, bring their milk in. That's how, that's how they make milk, and, they're, and they, you know, and they, they get real big, and they be full of milk, but it's the salt block. But I remember one time uh-huh. I came home from, I came home from school, and I couldn't find my grandmother, so I got nervous, and I saw a little salt block that no calf or cow was licking on. It was brand new. So my grandmother caught me. I was down on my on my knees licking on this salt block. And she said, <laughs> I know you ain't on your wow. knees licking on that salt block. But she gave me castor oil, and it, as I was throwing it up, she was putting it back on. And I, I tell you, and, you know, we had an outhouse, and I was running to that outhouse every 10 minutes. But castor oil was wow. a cure-all for everything. Yeah. Uh, and I, I want to say I also um, turpentine. Right? Yeah. Turpentine. Turpentine. My yeah. son was mm-hmm. ill. Yeah. We were traveling, and my son got really, really sick. And my aunt mm-hmm. said, well, let him sleep in this room. And she put, um, I, I'm almost positive it was turpentine in a metal bowl. And the next morning, my mm-hmm. son was fine. And I said, well, why is that? She oh, said, because yeah. it draws out all the impurities. So oh, yeah. Oh, just, yeah. just wow. amazing. Yeah, my great aunt has mentioned that. Yep, turpentine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this and it's interesting too, Janet or Shara Khan. I don't know which one mentioned it uh, about the old traditions. Because uh, I remember yes. going to the fun- when yeah, someone yeah. died in the house. Yeah, because people when per- people die in the house down in the country, you know, I mean, that you have to yeah. take their take take the blankets and and all the bedding. You have to hang it out on the uh, out on the right, line yes. on, the, on the clothesline. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you would yes. just, I mean. And the people who died, they usually would keep them in the house in the dog trot, which right. was a hallway, 
And, you know, people would come yes. by and look at it and look at them and stuff. But they would hang the stuff on the line because I would ask my grandmother, well, why do you have to hang the bed now? Because you have to wait till the sun passes over the linen. I remember and, and that. Wow. I remember that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The other wow. thing was you didn't cook. Right. And you didn't cook. Someone else would bring food to right. your home. They exactly. would put a wreath on your exactly. door. They did your laundry right. for you. You were not allowed to do anything, no cooking, nothing, right. for the entire no, time until the, the funeral was over. So, again, right. so many different things that, you know, have been right. lost. Yep. I, I did that. Um, when someone would pass away, we would take food to their home. And a lot of people mm-hmm. would look at me strange here in the north. I'm from South Carolina. Right. And they were like, well, why right. are you doing that? I said, that's what I grew up with. You know, you get a card right. yeah. and you take food to the home so that they don't don't have right. to do anything. That was your time of mourning. Right. So, well, let's exactly. And some question. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sharana. Wanna... <laughs> well, I just I got excited this discussion about traditions because I know there was something that um, Phyllis you mentioned about not mixing also the the uh, quilts of the living and the quilts of the dead. And right. I know something that has sort of survived is that I've heard with um, you know, in a lot of our households, right? We have pictures of our dead ancestors in like a particular mm-hmm. area of our house. And there right. is also this uh, superstition that you do not put uh, pictures of the living near the dead. Oh, yeah, because that's right. Because those two yeah. worlds should not mix. Yep. So right. that, you know, that yeah. came to my mind, and I'm like, this is, like, this is amazing, and this is awesome to be able to have, right. you know, these traditions and recall it. You know, we need to remember this. Right. right. Well, the quote right. acts as a thinking... talisman. You know, my grandmother, mm. you know, it, it, it was like a talisman that uh, – you know, even she told me these the the, uh, the people who the spirits that's in those quilts. It would if you get scared or get afraid or, or or sick, you just take it and you wrap it around you, and all those spirits Aww. would cure you, whatever. So, and that's the way she thought. She thought that that it would it would act as a talisman. You know, wow. we have a few more questions to go, but I just want to share this. You know, look at how <laughs> companies are ma- making blankets now, right, these heavy right. blankets. Uh-huh. And I'm looking at yeah. that going, yeah, we didn't mm-hmm. have that. My grandmother had about four or five blankets on our bed, and that kept us right. warm because the home was old. You know, it wasn't – we didn't have, like, a heating unit where I came from in South Carolina. Right. We had a, wood, <laughs> oh, a nice. wooden stove. And so we had four to five blankets on our bed, and that was comforting and you to move, me. And you exactly. Move, right. You. But you were warm. You were warm. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so, yeah. until this day, I'm the same way. I love, right. um, yeah. uh, you know, heavy quilting um, in, during the winter right. months, of course, or if there's air conditioning. And, and I love that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they did. And my grandmother used to take those, I have a burn, those, those irons. <laughs> yeah. We had those old irons, the one that you couldn't plug up. Yes. And she, she would warm those yes. up in the fireplace, wrap them with sheet, and put them at the foot of the bed to keep our feet warm at night. Wow. Yes, yes, exactly. Wow. Well, our next question yes. is, what is, the importance, what is the importance of genealogical research, particularly as it pertains to connecting people to long-lost ancestors? Okay, you know what, and I have, this is a two-pronged answer for this. First of all, okay. I'm going to give you um, my example, because what I did, I think my grandmother told all those stories because this is what she really wants. You know, she was in so many ways she couldn't articulate it because she never did go to school, but she can read somewhat. But I think deep down inside she wanted me to one day find her ancestors. Now, this was back mm-hmm. in, the, in the 60s. So that was my goal, not only to write a book, but I really wanted to connect with my grandmother's 
um, ancestors who were and who was basically sold in slavery, and I was going to work from there. So that's why I decided to do my mother, my father's, and my DNA. And through that mm-hmm. DNA and isolating my father's and my mother's and, and comparing my mother's with hers, I was able to find some of my grandmother's um, uh, uh, ancestors on, you know, that she lost, that she wow. never knew existed. Yes. And what, I did, and, and what I did was I took my, um, so one of the, one of the women from Quilts of Colors in New York, who was a quilter, I told her about what I wanted to happen. So she said, I tell you what, if you can collect a piece of cloth from those ancestors that you found from your, on your grandmother's, your grandmother's lost lineage and, Send me up if you have anything that belonged to your grandmother, which I did. I had her robe, so I sent those clothing and the clothing and and my grandmother's robe to her, and she made a quilt and she co- and she cut strips of uh, pieces from my grandmother's robe, and she took strips of pieces from the clothing they had sent me, and she connected them symbolically in a Aww. quilt and made a quilt out of. So each piece of That's my grandmother's beautiful. robe connects to a piece of. Uh, their clothing. So she may not have been able to meet them, but symbolically they are always be connected. And so I have that quilt hanging up in my house so I can look at it and say, look, Grandma, these are your, these are your people. You're connected to them now. I know you mourn yeah. their loss, you know, but now you're connected to them. And, and, and the other story I want to tell about um, as far as how it's really, I mean, I'm a true proponent of genealogical research and connected yeah. to those long-lost ancestors because I, I do genealogy research for people. I mean, I'm doing my last two now because I really can't do it because the book and all that and all that entails. But I, right. about six months ago, this lady said, can you do my research because I don't know anything about my father, my, my, my paternal side, and I know very little about my maternal side. And I said, well, you, you're going to have to do your DNA because – you you have so little information, I can't even make a connection. So when she did her DNA, I've come to find out she has a, what I call a pure line that runs, and she's mm. from, all her folks are from um, Dorchester, Maryland. She has a pure line, lineage line, that runs from herself to the Tubmans and the Harriet Rosses. Wow. Um, and, on, and on the other side, up in Delaware and Maryland, She's connected to Ethel Waters' family. And I said, wow. I said, yes. You know, and all that history existed, and she had absolutely no information. And I said, well, did you ever talk to your grandparents or your mother about who you are with your history? And she said, no, they would be in there talking, and I would never go in there when she would call and try to tell me um, about my family or just, you know, how old people talk. She said, I never wanted to listen. We wanted to go out and play. And this was up in mm-hmm. in, um, in the African-American historical section of Cambridge where she used to spend her summers as a kid, ripping and running wow. up and down the streets. And she never, never took the time to listen, and she would just have so many regrets about that. And I told her, I said, mm-hmm. you know what, you have this information now. Please don't let your grandchildren Please don't leave this world without sharing it with them because they, they need it because they would ask her, yeah. who's, who's my grandparents? You know, where right. did I come from? Right. Where did you come And she couldn't tell them anything, and that's why she decided to do her ancestry. 
But even Good with that, I mean, look at how we connected with, um, we're connected to Pamela Bailey. You know, I have right. a connection with you, Lee, Lee right. uh, Peavy out in Arizona. You know, we've got right. some cousins there that have a connection with you. There's a D out of New York. And I was thinking mm-hmm. um, the blanket, I believe that was stating um, uh, from the quilters in New York, the uh, African-American right. quilting they, group in New York that made the blanket. And right. she also made a jacket. She has like a jacket right, exactly. with full of clothes because I believe I have a picture of it. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. it. That's yeah, amazing. She did a great job. She did a great mm-hmm. job. Nice. But I think so it's that's really important. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. But, you know, I... Oh, on the on the other hand, you know, another reason that is is important too. Even though we you know we get into the sixth, seventh, and eighth um, generations, but it's so many black folks end up marrying a cousin or a second cousin yes. or yeah. a very close family members because you know I, something. Let me let me interject this in there too because this this is this is really really important. When I asked my mm-hmm. grandmother why they stayed on the land, the same land where they were enslaved, where her parents were enslaved. And the answer mm. I got, she said, because her parents, especially her mother, thought that one day her children would come back to that plantation. Oh and that's why oh. and that's why a lot of blacks stayed. That's why a lot of blacks stayed and didn't venture up north. I, I, I'm just assuming, but I'm pretty sure that was the reason. Wow. That's a really and I good point, just in case they come back, come home. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. we talk a lot about the Great Migration, and it is like a very important part of um, you know American history and African American history for sure. It shaped a lot of the right. cities that we know now. But there is also a story to be told about the folks that you know didn't want to leave and wanted to stay right. in the South, and right. what were their reasons right. for doing that? And that needs to right. be explored a little bit more as well. Right. And, and when I you talk about people too, marrying each other, book. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, and that. And I do touch on that in my new book, but I'm I'm sorry, Janice. I, I want to hear this. That you, oh, that, oh, I was talking. You know, I was thinking about the comment really that important. you that com that comment that you made about <laughs> um, people marrying each other is because the, right. a lot of folks have uh, passed, and they used to always ask the question, "Who are your people?" And so right. you would get the answer. Right. Oh, okay, I know right. them. I know this person. You know, I, right. I um, have a Facebook group with about 335 family members on it, and I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm on Facebook here and there, and I see people getting married, and I'm going cousin, 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 because they honestly <laughs> don't know. <laughs> so what were you saying about your, you discussed in your um, your new book? Mm-hmm. Oh, the uh, the the point being the uh, why a lot of slaves decided to stay. And not yeah. go up north because if you had opportunity to to leave, you know, the same plantation where you've been beat and just, you know, um, you've just been treated awful, but you decide to stay, there's got to be something said about that. There, there has to be a reason. Right. And when my grandmother said that, I said, "Oh wow, okay." Not, you know, and I thought about that not as a not as a young Phyllis, but as an old older Phyllis. I said, "Wow, mm-hmm. that's why a lot of them decided to stay because I know." The hurt. I mean, I can only imagine the hurt that, you know, a child being taken from you and, you know, from the breast and sold away. Yeah. You know, that, that has to be some very serious hurt. And um, I can imagine her wanting to stay, you know, in case, because that's the only place that, you know, sort of connected to with her and her children right. that sold right. away. So it, right. I mean, even if it, it was a slim possibility, but, but still, there was it was a possibility. So, wow, yeah, that's amazing to really think about. It's hard to really kind of wrap our minds around because it's just such a, 
you can get lost in thinking about the emotions behind it. It's heavy. Right. Um, yes. So this kind of nicely ties into the next question, which was, um, you know, can you discuss the importance of passing down oral history, including slave narratives? You know, and I, I think somewhere along the way, I think maybe over the last 25, 30 years, that 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 part of our history just stopped. It was just poor, the the passing down of oral history just mm-hmm. just stopped. It's just. Uh, you know, I think technology had a lot to do with it. You know, television and videos and and iPhones and iPads and you know, so families don't yeah. sit around and talk like they used to. You know, we used to sit around the the uh, the, the kitchen table. You know, even though kids weren't supposed to listen to grown folks talk, but that was my prime time of hearing all the good stuff. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and right. they would yeah. sit around. I, and I remember adults sitting around and just talking about things and I would just absorb everything that they would say but but passing down oral history it I mean it could have been ghost stories but still to me it was right. real but that's still part of passing down that oral history where you could find some relevance and you know and some realism to some of the things that they were saying but all of a sudden that I think that that stopped and we didn't think it was important and a lot of kids I've heard well that's not important to me and I give you a good example. My um, my ex husband uh, had was from New was from New York, and I stayed really close with his uncle over the years, even to the day he even came to my wedding. But he's oh, wow. in his eighties. He's in his eighties, and he and he was born and raised in in Harlem during the Harlem Renaissance. And oh, he wow! Worked, he he actually worked for um, uh, uh, Ralph Ellison. James Baldwin, and he used to run errands, and he would tell me how how Ralph Ellison would have him, when he come home from school, would have him go over his English homework with him, and he was just so oh critical. Oh, my goodness. And he that was terrible. I gotta get, I'm trying to get my mouth up off the floor because that's like walking history. <laughs> and, I can, yes, yes. and I can listen to this man talk all day, but his kids and grandkids are not interested in the least. No! Not at all, oh, none. No. And that's and that's why he talks to me a lot. He would call, and I could stay on the phone with him for hours because those stories about meeting Lena Horn and what she was like and wow. how all these these, these black men and women of stature would come up, would come in the house and they would sit down and talk. And he was a little kid, and he would sit around and listen. And I mean, I just think that's the most interesting thing ever. But are you capturing but, that? Are you capturing that or recording him? I, I, I told him, I said, oh. I'm going to sit down and talk with you, and I'm going to get everything. Yes. I just want yes. you to talk. And, yeah. and he's, he's really on the ball. He works out, and he's really sharp. He's really, really wow. sharp. But I said, I, would, awesome. I could write a story. I could write a story. But that's all part of that passing down oral history where a lot of yes. the younger people, they just don't consider that important. Anymore, and like, we have like to we have did. the responsibility to try to let them know how important right. it is. And I just want to interject here. This is so good, but we want to make sure we get all of the questions in. Oh, oh okay. so yeah. it's it's important to stress that for them. Okay, so right. so our next question is, what's next? What's on the horizon for you? You know, I am just. I mean, I am. It's almost surreal what I'm feeling right now with this book and mm. and the agency and how. 
upbeat they are. I mean, I'm, I'm with Writer's House, which is the largest uh, literary agency in the world. Uh, you right. know, they mm-hmm. have their, their, their clients are Tom Clancy and Nora Roberts mm. and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, John Green and all the biggies. And you know your ancestors are rejoicing and going, go oh, ahead on, girl, oh, now. All right, now. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. So when she told me that, when she told me that everybody at Writer's House, all the, you know, executives are so, so happy about my book and so, and just see so much relevance in it, and they're all upbeat, and they're going to just do everything for my book to be the top book. And I've just, for them to tell me that, and I really can't talk about, you know, my book contract because it right. hasn't been signed yet, but I can't wait. Right. And I'm just going to bust Aww. out. And I, you know, I, yeah. I do understand the process, and I'm, you know, I'm trying. She said, Phyllis, just nail your feet to the floor. We got this, you know. And so I'm just going to stay in my lane while they do their negotiating. But we're almost there. We're almost there. But mm-hmm. well, congratulations. We're really- so excited for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I see really big things coming down the pike. I mean, I really do. I can feel it. I can experience it. You know, I think about it in the middle of the night. I jump up and I say, wow, mm-hmm. is this really happening? Is this really happening? So my goal, and I'm just going to put it out in the universe, is for this book to be a New York Times bestseller. Ooh, That's what I want. I, I want agree. My, I want, Amen. I, I want my grandmother to see this. I want her to say, yeah. wow. And so <laughs> it know. is. Yes, and yeah. so it is. But that's okay. um, that's that's my experience. That's what's next. I like that. That's what's good. I love that. All right, Sherry Connor, you want to close yeah. with our last? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is a great conversation, and you know we could yeah. obviously be here for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but to close us out, um, you know, Phyllis, what are some parting words you have for our listeners? You know, I, and I thought about this question, and I said. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it the way my grandmother told me a long time ago. I was, and I'll never forget this experience. I think I, I, there are a lot of great experiences with my grandmother, but this one, and I put it in the preface, and it, it, but it's much longer, much, 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 uh, I go into more detail. But we lived really far out in the country. I mean, we didn't have any running water, outside toilets, or anything. So we were just out there in the middle of nowhere. But it was a slave cemetery that used to sit maybe a quarter of a mile right in front of our five-room farmhouse. And my grandmother, wow. one day she took me over there. And, you know, and you see, like, it was like rocks or, you know, just little things just to, just to annotate, in lack, for lack of a better word, that a person was buried here. But my grandmother called it the old-time religion cemetery. And so she mm-hmm. took me over there only only once she took me there. And she said, I want you to look at, you know, I, I'm just going to paraphrase her. She said, I wanted you to look around at all these, all these graves here. She said, these are the best stories you ain't never heard. Ooh. Yeah. And I, I thought like that, that was so, that was so powerful. powerful. And, and, yes. and as I was leaving, I just, you know, at, I was only like nine or 10, so I really couldn't embrace the whole concept of what she was saying, but I did to a certain point. But as I was walking away, I turned around and she said, don't you turn around. Don't you ever look back at them. You just look straight mm-hmm. ahead, but don't ever look back at them. And I never went back to that cemetery again, but those words were powerful there. So that's what I want to 
leave for everybody. Get the story from your ancestors. Find the, the most the eldest person in your family, and just sit down and have a talk with them. Because once these people leave and they're buried, that's it. The story's going to go with them. Right. The story's going right. to go with them. You'll never be able to hear it again. So that's my, I mean, that's the that's greatest yep. words I can ever tell anybody. And I'm sitting here listening to you thinking, <laughs> but you remembered, but you right. remembered those words. Well, right. to our listeners, Phyllis is represented by Writer's House Literary Agency of New York City. Her new book is also titled Quilt of Souls. It'll be released during the winter of 2022. Phyllis, thank you for being our guest. This has been amazing. We love your story, your journey, and are excited for the publication of your new book. Once the book is published, we'd love to have you come back and share with us again. Congratulations, and we wish you continued success. And people can follow Phyllis on Facebook, and that is Lula Horn. It's facebook.com forward slash Lula Horn 1883, also on Author Central on Amazon. Um, did you want to say something else? We have like, a, like one or two minutes if you wanted to say something else. I didn't want to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, it's just been great doing this and I can't oh. wait to come back. I can't wait for a return trip because I have more exciting news to tell you at that time. I'm just oh, I yes. just hate uh-huh. that I'm so limited right now but you know when I come back <laughs> no, you know that gives our more, listeners something to look story. forward to. Yeah, it, exactly. it gives our listeners something to look forward to uh, when you come back. So what a That's blessing. Right. We we'll feel here, honored so. to have you <laughs> and we are grateful and to our listeners, thank you for joining us and we look forward to sharing with you during our next podcast and Shara Khanna, this has been amazing. Oh, my goodness. And listen, congratulations, newlywed. Oh, <laughs> congratulations. <thank> you. <laughs> we, all right. We appreciate you. you and wish you all the best. Have a great evening, everyone. Thank you. Oh, good night, good night. everyone. Okay. Bye. Good night. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.